word, bless the preparation, the proclamation of this word. Use it for your glory and honor and to be a blessing unto your people. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn with me once again to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. And I want to just focus in on one verse, one key verse for today's sermon. And I'll be reading that verse from the New, New King James Version. It is verse 22, which reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, verse 23, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Today I want to preach the second part of a sermon entitled, Building an Effective Team in 2015. Would you say that with me? Building an effective team in 2015. Now, every effective team needs a set of core values. Am I right about it? In fact, most of you uh, work in organizations and you have a set of core values. Core values are fundamental beliefs, uh, principles which are practiced by team members, and they influence the direction of the team. Now, the core values of the church are not derived from corporate board rooms full of high-profile CEOs and executives. The core values of the church come from the Bible. Amen. The Bible is the God-ordained, God-breathed, God-inspired, God-given word to his church. And in the Bible, we find core values, those values that God desires his people to adapt and follow. We need not guess about them. We need not try to figure them out. We need not debate over them. We need only to practice them and, and, the, and the effectiveness of our team will emerge. That is, when we know the core values, when we practice core values, then our team will be effective in all that we do. We will be effective in evangelism, reaching people for Jesus Christ, we will be effective in discipleship, training those who are already Christians. We will be effective in outreach, that is, going outside of the four walls of the church and doing ministry, whether it's, in, uh, whether it's uh, under the tree, whether it's across the tracks, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our schools, wherever it is, when we practice the core values that God has set forth in his word, we will be effective as a team, as a ministering team, as a body of Christ. And that's what we want. We don't want to be an ineffective team. We want to be an effective team making an impact for the causes of Christ. 
We want to be making, we want to make an impact on the kingdom agenda. We just don't want to come here Sunday after Sunday, worship and go home and make no changes in the world. We want to change our society, our communities, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our world. And the way to do that is through practicing the essential core values that God has given us. Now, today's scripture lesson is found in Galatians 5, 22, 23, where the Apostle Paul lists what he titles the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit are those things that, that, that are apparent in our lives as a result of us having a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we accept him as Lord and Savior, his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, moves into our lives, transforms us, and gives us a set of core values. He wrote, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Paul lays out a clear-cut list of core values that will, if we practice them, guide our attitudes as well as our behavior. They guide our attitudes and well as our behavior. Now, notice first on the list is love. Have you noticed that? First on the list is love. That's because love is the foundation upon which everything else is built. If we don't have love, if we don't have love on our team, if we don't have love in the church, we might as well just take down the tent fold up the tent, and go home. Love is that foundation. Love must first be vertical. What do I mean by that? That is, we must first have a genuine love relationship with God. That's the first thing. We got to be in love with God. In the church, we've got to be deeply and desperately in love with God. Notice the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not a half-hearted love. But you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart above and beyond everything else should be our intense love of God. He said love God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength. And then not only is love, it must be vertical, love must be horizontal. That is, we must authentically love each other. If someone say, I love this. I love this. This is a lift test for, for love. If someone says, if someone verbalizes the words, I love God and hates his brother, actualizes something else, hate, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, yeah, 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 
we're interacting with each other every day. We're working on committees together. We're working on groups together. We are worshiping together. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In actuality, the love we have for one another flows directly from our love relationship with God. I can tell exactly how much you love God by how you love each other. You can tell exactly where the pastor's love is with God by how well the pastor loves the congregation. I mean, ain't no question about that. That's not rocket scientists. Science, that's just biblical truth. Now, make no mistake about it. To build an effective team in 2015, I'm not talking about what we did last year. You you know, last year's past and and gone, right? I'm talking about if we're going to build an effective team this year, biblical love must be a core value which is preached practiced and preeminent within our church family. We, we got to preach it. And that's not just from the pulpit. That's, that's, that's congregational wide. We got to preach it, not only preach it, not only verbalize it, but we got to practice it. That's actually, we, we, got, to, we, got, to, we got to do it amongst each other. And then it must be preeminent. It, it must it, it must be it must be top a top priority within our church family. Now, I realize that the word love is so abused and so misused and so overworked in our society until when it's mentioned, especially in a sermon, there is a tendency on behalf of some to flip the switch to another station, right? Has that ever happened? You just, okay, I heard this before, so I'm going to flip the switch, and I'm on another station. Maybe I'm thinking about dinner. Maybe I'm thinking about what I got to do after church. I'm here, but I'm not all here. There on, the ha- on behalf of some, there's a tendency to take a middle trip to someplace else, thinking that we've heard all this before. But I want us to take somewhat of a different approach Today, as we examine this core value of love, I want us to examine several things that love is not. So stay with me. Stay with me. It's a different approach. First, love is not about agreeing with each other on every matter. I mean, in the home, between friends, and especially in the church. It's not about agreeing with each other on every matter. That's a misnomer. That, 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 that the team is going to always agree on everything. That's not, that's not what love is. In the church, in Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, or in the church where you are worshiping as you listen on the Internet, uh, on, on the radio, we will not all agree all the time. Would you agree? <laughs> Amen. 
That phenomenal phenomenon is part and parcel, disagreement is part and parcel of the unique creatures God has made us to be. To disagree is a natural part of life. There's not anything inherently sinful about disagreement. Are you listening to me? But here's where, here's where love factors into the equation. When we love God and when we love each other, we will make it a point to disagree respectfully. That's the difference. That's the difference. When we love God and each other, we will make it our prerogative to disagree without being disagreeable. When we love God and each other, we can disagree without being disruptive. When we love God and love each other, we can disagree without being destructive. In other words, without tearing stuff up. Right? Husbands and wives can disagree without tearing the house up, without throwing things and throwing each other. If, in fact, they really love God and each other, we can work this thing out. We will love God and love each other. We will disagree without being a detriment to ourselves or each other. When we love God, we love each other, we would disagree. We can disagree without doing damage to the name of Jesus Christ and his church. It's just something horrible about church fights and church disagreements where when it spills over into the community and the neighborhood and even makes the news and, and seeks to damage the name of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ as a whole, that is despicable. We ought not to participate in that. You see, you see, effective teams, effective church families know how to manage disagreements in ways that honor God and keeps the church moving in the right direction. So if we're going to be an effective team in 2015, our times of disagreement, which we will have, must be stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. In other words, disagreements can be used to build up the church instead of tearing down the church. And when we love God, that's our sole intention, to build up the church and not tear down the church. The only person that wants to tear down the church and the only people that want to tear down the church are the devil and his hosts. So whenever you find tearing up, conflict and chaos and confusion, that's not God, that's the devil and his works. Now, Jesus models this point in amazing fashion in Mark 16 and Six and seven, and you can read this story later. But I just love this. I just love this story. After the resurrection, an angel of the Lord said to Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Yeah, they crucified him. They killed him. Um, but, but don't be afraid because he has risen. 
He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Verse 7, I love this. But go tell his disciples. Now, I like that, Pastor. Tell his disciples. But, but one of the most powerful imageries of, 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 of managing conflict and disagreement comes on the heels of verse 6 and, and beginning in verse 7. But go tell his disciples and, and Peter. Help me somebody. And Peter, that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. Now, why this is so powerful, one reason is, obviously, Jesus did not agree with Peter's denial of him. Obviously, he was not satisfied with that. Obviously, he didn't appreciate. In fact, I love the fact that he didn't say, go tell my disciples to meet me, but leave Peter off. Because I did not appreciate, I did not appreciate what he said, what he did, and how I did not appreciate the fact that he stood up and said to me, Jesus, I'm going to be with you. No matter what everybody else does, you can count on me. And when the chips are down, he he was gone. I didn't appreciate that. No, he said, go tell my disciples and Peter. Peter, you still on the team. You blew it, you, you messed up, you dropped the ball, but you still on the team. Husbands and wives, we drop the ball sometimes, don't we? I know I drop the ball sometimes, but thank God I'm still on the team. In 2015, we will drop the ball in the church sometimes. We will fail each other sometimes. But remember, go tell my disciples and Peter to meet me. You're still on the team. Still on the team. Jesus demonstrated how love keeps the team functional, even when team members have disagreements. But secondly, love is not about the suppression or the elimination of individual personalities or interest. God created us to be different. Have you noticed that? And as I contemplated this, as I thought about it, I said, you know, God is the only person who could have created so much diversity in the world. In fact, no two people are just alike. Not even identical twins. They have different DNAs, different footprints, and different fingerprints. Imagine, only God could have done that. Nobody else could have pulled that off but God. And since God made us all different, why should we in the church try to force everybody into being a carbon copy of everybody else? There's something wrong with that picture. Now, I'm going to tell you, that, that's not New Testament church. I'm going to tell you what that is. When everybody has to be just alike, that's cultic. You study and examine cults, 
And that's what you're going to find. Everybody will be just alike. They're supposed to be robotic. Nobody is thinking for themselves. They follow one guru who is the cult leader, and everybody gets in line and does exactly what the cult leader says without checking it out scripturally at all. Paul was really on to something when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 4, 5, 6, and 11. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries. Did you get that? There are differences of ministries. We all got different ministries, different things that interest us, different things that we are involved in, different things that turn us on, different things that speak our love language. But the same Lord. There are diversity of activities. We don't all need to be doing the same thing all the time. There are diversities of activities. But it's the same God who works in all. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each individual on each, each individually as what? He wills, not as the pastor wills, but as God will, not as dominant groups. In the church will, but as God will. And notice Paul goes on to instruct the church at Corinth in verses 14 through 18, stating, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. I love this. He said, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it not therefore of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, Am I not of the body? Is it not, not therefore not of the body rather? If the whole body was an eye, that means if we were all doing the same thing, where would be the hearing? Where would be the smelling? But, but Paul says, but, but now God has set the milk. Watch this. God. Did you get that? That's the imperative. God has set the members, each one of them individually, in the body, just as he pleased. I love that. Now, here's the application of Paul's word. When we accept and appreciate the truth that God in his infinite wisdom has made each of us differently and has given us different gifts, talents, and abilities as it has pleased him, we will be a powerful force to be reckoned with. When we embrace that, that, that you might not do it like I do it, and I might not do it like, like you do it, but when we embrace that diversity, we will be a powerful force to be reckoned with. When we embrace the biblical reality that God is not the least bit interested in cookie-cutter or carbon-copy Christians, but wants all of us to love each other for who we are and what we are in the Lord, we will have an effective team in 2015. A team that loves, appreciates, and values our individual uniquenesses. So be yourself. 2050, just be yourself. 
Get comfortable with how God is making you, molding you, and moving you. Just, just, just relax. Just, just relax and just be comfortable with God, with God, how God is making you and how God is molding you and how God is moving you. Relax and get comfortable with what God is doing in and through you. Free yourself from trying to mimic, mark, or model anybody else's movement. Are you listening to me? Just move in the way that God moves you. One of the many things I deeply appreciate so much about our pastoral staff, Pastor Stevens and and uh, and and uh, Pastor Speed when he was here, and Pastor Trudell, Pastor Joe, one of the things I really deeply admire about them is that each of them as team members has their own unique individual style of preaching and teaching and doing ministry. I love that. I would not want to see that any other way. For a fact, Dr. Stevens is here tomorrow. I love the way he presents. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat learning and, and and getting what he has to say. I love his delivery. I love how God is molding him and making him. I would be sadly disappointed if he or any other of our staff preachers tried to be anybody else other than who God is making them. In fact, in fact, I had one instructor tell a young man years ago, uh, he, he, was, he was speaking and he was, you know, mimicking, you know, Dr. King. You know, that was back in the day. People want, he was a great oratorical, had great oratorical abilities. And this teacher said, she said, listen, listen. She said, she said, just be yourself. She said, the world has already had one Martin Luther King Jr. She said, don't rob the world of having a you. We try to be somebody else. We rob the world of the unique gifts that God has given unto us. And there are some people out there who need it done just like you do it. If you try to do it like somebody else, you miss them. I love it about them. They aren't threatened, our staff. They aren't threatened by what anybody else does or how they do it. They just bring it like God tells them to bring it. Third and finally today, love is not about pleasing each other. I can't stress that enough. You know, there's a misnomer that if we're not pleasing each other, we don't love each other. Love is not even about that. We might be pleased with each other, but that's not always necessarily the case. And that's not a pre, pre, pleasing each other is not a prerequisite of biblical love. In fact, truth be told, sometimes our greatest displays of biblical love are demonstrated when, 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 we are, when, we, when we don't please each other. Yeah, truth be told, sometimes our greatest display of, of love are demonstrated when people are not pleased with us. When, when, our, when our daughter, Delacroix, was a junior in high school, we had just moved here and we lived in Plant City for a year in an apartment complex there and she was attending Plant City High School and she made friends with a little girl in the school 
And the little girl invited my daughter to a party. Say, you know, Dev, want you to come to this party. And so uh, Sister Pick and I said, okay, well, this is what we'll do. We'll drive you over there. And then that way we'll know where the party is and we'll go in and we'll meet uh, the parents of the host, the house where they're hosting party. We'll meet the parents, you know, and, and that way we'll feel better about it. So she agreed. We agreed. So we got in the car and uh, we went over to the community where the party was being held, went to the address. And when we drove up, I mean, there were cars everywhere. I mean, that, w- that was one of the, I mean, that, they rolled deep. <laughs> and not only were they cars everywhere, there were people everywhere. I mean, it was like a little, it was like a city. And not only that, but, but I mean, you couldn't even see, half see the house for the people. Not only that, it was dark. It was like they didn't know what street lights were in that neighborhood. And then the noise, well, I mean, it was blaring. It was blaring. And so, since we didn't know who was hosting the party, we didn't know the parents, we didn't know the chaperones, or even if they even had adult chaperones. Uh, And things to us, my wife and I, looked to be completely out of control. So, Pickett and I decided not to drop our daughter off. Now, needless to say, she was furious. I mean, she was crying and fussing and telling us, you know, she didn't understand it. And, you know, I could just, I, I just read between the lines, you are mean parents. And if I could, I would turn you in. And if I could, I would get out of this car and walk away and not come back. She was totally displeased with our decision, and she voiced her displeasure. Now, it was not that we didn't love our daughter. It was not that we didn't want her. It was not that we didn't want her to be pleased with our decision. But it was that we loved her so much that we were willing to risk her displeasure. Uh, I'm sorry, we're willing, willing, we were willing uh, to risk her displeasure for the sake of her safety. Right. Am I right about it? Right. Now, now, this is the funny part. Incidentally, when I called her to ask her permission, because I always ask my children permission before I use them, because now we got internet. <laughs> and uh, thanks to Pastor Stevens and Brother Mike Argo, I mean, this, if we get this go worldwide, I mean, some of our people listening, Korea, and I mean, worldwide. So they tune in, right? And I mean, I would have done it anyway, because I mean, yeah. But I asked her permission to share this story. And she said, yeah, that, and, that, and she said, that'd be, be fine. And, and, she, and then I said, I'm going to ask you a question. She said, because she has a daughter now, eight years old, third grade. I said, would you let Amaya out at that party? No! <laughs> it's amazing how God uses wisdom and time and experiences to change our perspective on things. Aren't you glad that God didn't always please you? 
Now, I have a confession to make, and every time I say this, and although I've been preaching all these years, and my, my wife gets nervous. Every time I say this, she, she gets nervous when I say I have a confession to make. But anyway, as your pastor, I have a confession to make. I love it. I absolutely love it when y'all are pleased with me. I love it when you are pleased with my son. I just, I mean, I love that. When you please, I, I, I love when you're pleased with the sermons I preach. I love it when you are pleased with the decisions that I make. And I have to make a lot of decisions. And I love it when you're pleased. I appreciate your affirming compliments, your accolades, and your encouraging words. But there are times when God gives me a tough word. I know those times that word is tough because, I mean, you, you know, you don't, you don't get the enthusiastic amen. And, and a lot of times with folk who used, usually come and shake your hand after church, they go the other way. You know that it's been tough. There are times when, when God gives them a tough word to preach, a hard decision to make. You know when you made a tough de- decision because, because you don't always get the accolades and, and the smile. When those times come, and they will come, I want you all to know that my love for you is far greater than my desire to please you. I just want to get that straight in 2015. It has nothing to do with my love. In fact, it has nothing to do. My love for you is far greater than my desire to please you. Well, I'm trying to wrap this up because, but I just want to share this with you. In the barbershop a couple of weeks ago, a man made the statement that there were some jobs that he wouldn't want. He said, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be a police, police, that's police, that's South Carolinian for police officer. I wouldn't want to be a police a pastor, a politician. Now, I could identify with not wanting to be a police or a politician, but I absolutely, Dr. Harris, I absolutely love being a pastor. There's nothing else I'd rather do. Have other offers, had other offices, a lot of things I could have done, but there's nothing I'd rather do than be a pastor. But there is a job, another job that... Although I admire the people who do it, and it seems they seem to really enjoy it, I wouldn't want any parts of it. And that is a referee. <laughs> now, the thing I admire most about refer- those who referee with integrity is that he, he or she is willing to make the right calls, even when the calls will be unpopular. And we've seen that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, a ref makes a call and half the crowd goes wild cheering and half the crowd is, is jeering. And sometimes when a controversial call is made, people are angry and some people are even outraged. And you know, the interesting thing about it is that some people will watch the instant replay. Do they still have those? They'll watch the instant replay and they'll see 
that the call that was made by the ref was the right call to make. And they still mad. <laughs> I mean, have you noticed they're still mad? And then they'll have an have a hour-long, two- or three-hour commentary on the call when they know the call was right, and they are still mad at the ref for making the right call. But that's another sermon. But be that as it may, the call stands because it was the right call to make. Our challenge as a church family, as a, as a body of baptized believers in Jesus Christ, as members of Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, or wherever you are listening, whatever church you are with, our challenge as a team in 2015 will be to stand firm in spite of the opposition, in spite of the disagreements, stand firm and make the right call because it is the right call to make. And when we do that, we will be an effective team. I'm not interested in the city being satisfied with us. I'm more interested in pleasing God, doing the best that we can for our people, the people of God. 